None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Today we have Mike Brown, founder of Never Use Alone, a no-judgment service that you can call if you're using drugs and at risk for an overdose. Their number is 800-484-3731. I just wanted to talk right off the bat with uh, the organization you founded, uh, Never Use Alone. So I uh, just want to talk about that a little bit, um, why you started that up, and uh, and just how it works. All right, cool. Um, well, I myself am a person in recovery from uh, an IV drug use problem and uh, mm-hmm. lost many friends to it so far. And uh, I also help run a uh, group on, on Facebook, private group for people like us. It's a support group. Well, one day, one of the guys posted in there saying that uh, a friend of his had died the night before and they died because they'd used the loan. And he offered his phone number and said, if any of you guys are going to be using today, just call me and I'll sit on the phone with you. Make sure you're OK. Well, that sparked an idea. I thought, well, what the hell? I can't we do this on a large scale. So I got to dig in. I thought certainly people much smarter than myself have thought of this and for some reason decided not to do it. I couldn't find any reason. So we took off. We uh, started off with a Google voice phone number and um, yeah. at, uh, a free number and like five operators, I think. But um, now we're, uh, we've got the national line, the New York line, New England line, the Spanish line, and then also Mandy's line. And we have uh, helped organizations in five other countries now to to start uh, overdose response lines. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's growing like crazy, man. Um, uh, how it works is uh, when somebody's using by themselves, they can call our, our national lines, uh, 1-800-484-3731. Uh, you can get more information about it at neveruseallone.com. Um, anyway, they call the toll-free number, and an operator will ask for their first name. It can be a nickname, a, a fake name, a letter, whatever. We just want to know what to call them while we're talking. Then we ask for the address where they're at and uh, a phone number to call them back in case we get disconnected. Once we have all that information, we verify it with the caller. Uh, and tell them, you know, you can go ahead and do your thing, but let us know the second you're done so we can kind of keep track of the time. Usually, in a couple, after a couple minutes, they found a vein and they say, you know, I'm done. So we mark down the time. We stay on the phone about 10, 15 minutes usually if, they're, if it's an IV use. If they're snorting or smoking or boofing or something, then we might stay 20 or 30 minutes. Hmm. But... Um, Anyway, um, if after 10 or 15 minutes, they're okay, we hang up and they call back if they're using when they're alone again. Um, If they stop responding, though, after using, we attempt communication for about 30 seconds. We'll yell their name. uh, Hey, you know, I'm I'm about to call the ambulance. If you don't respond, I've got to call the ambulance. 
if they don't respond, then we go ahead and uh, contact the uh, 911 dispatch center in their location and uh, have an ambulance dispatched to their location. Um, we've taken, I'm not real sure the exact number right now, but it's over 6,000 calls. And we've only had to call an ambulance 45 times. Hmm. But each of the 45 times, the caller survived. So. Yeah, so uh, I was surprised that there there were so few. I mean, that's great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when I first started, it, I, I honestly thought that there would be a lot more. But uh, it's very, very, very rare that we actually have an overdose call. Well, that's good. And some people who call might be worried that uh, you guys are going to call the cops or you're affiliated mm-hmm. with the police. Uh, and I see yeah. stuff on your website. You're trying to assure people that you're not trying to get the police involved absolutely we we try to do it now as we say on our website we can't guarantee that they won't show up you know we, we do everything we can to reduce the chances of them to show up like if you call, call 911 we, right yeah when we call uh, the ambulance we'll say that somebody called our crisis line and then became unresponsive Mm-hmm. Um, now, if the uh, dispatcher, I've had situations where the dispatcher wouldn't alert the EMS or whatever, activate them or whatever, until she knew exactly what was going on. So there are occasions that we have to say, you know, what's what's really happening. Mm-hmm. But if it's gotten to the point to where you're on the floor, possibly dead. Yeah. It's at that point, it's either catch a charge or die, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, uh-huh. But. That I'm aware of, we've only had one caller that caught charges, uh, a possession charge. Mm. I forget what state he was in, but um, if you go to uh, nextdistro.org slash policies, you'll see the Good Samaritan law for every state in the U.S. Most states cover the person that's calling for help and also covers the person overdosing. So that's extremely important for people to know their state's policy of Good Samaritan law. What is that exactly? Good Samaritan law, it basically, if you come upon somebody that's overdosing or your friend's overdosing, if you call for help, you are covered under from protection from being charged with anything for calling for help. And in a lot of states, the person overdosing is also covered from any charges. Um, if it's okay. an overdose situation. So, but that's not every state. Um, so it's, it's very important to check your state's uh, Good Samaritan law. Well, yeah. I think all but like two states have a Good Samaritan law. So uh, almost all states cover the person calling for help. Most states cover the person overdosing. Okay, cool, cool. Um, yeah, I saw that uh, it was uh, September 20th, 2020, you wrote on Facebook about a guy who was poisoned by fentanyl while you were on the call with him. Uh, do you want to talk about that? I, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific one, but I don't, I don't recall. Yeah, I mean, you said, you said he actually, uh, he, he, he was alive, but uh, I think it was the first you said it might have been. Oh, okay. First of all, like what I, year? What year did you start this? It might it have been was your first September of 2019. Is, okay. Uh, when I okay. started, it. my son's mother uh, called me directly. She wasn't calling NUA, but she called me directly uh, uh, to have me as a spotter, and uh, she ended up passing away. She overdosed. Oh. Uh, I called the ambulance, but they didn't get there in time. 
So that's, uh, you know, we've saved 45 people through NUA, but then I've, I've lost one myself. You know, I can't, that wasn't on NUA though, because she was calling me directly. So, uh, but then there's, I think I remember the one you're talking about though. I want to say it was in Chicago, but, um, when I called for help for him, the first back then, let me back this up. Back then, when a caller gave us their address, we were Googling to find the nearest ambulance service. We don't do that anymore. We've got a, a system we connect through and automatically connect to the right dispatch center. But back then, we were Googling. And uh, so I'd written down two numbers, you know, in Chicago, big ass city with multiple ambulance services. Yeah. The, the first one I called, the guy didn't give a shit. Yeah, I was like, man, the guy needs help. I don't know which one to call. He's like, well, you got the wrong one here. Call another one. Basically hung up on me. Didn't give a shit. Jesus. Luckily, the second one was the right number, and uh, we were able to get him some help. Yeah, so we've we've uh, not lost any through NUA yet, but, um, you know, I can't I say yet because odds are at some point we might, but... Uh, you know, I hope not. Well, that's great. That's great work you're doing. And, and in that situation, like you saved the guy's life, literally. I mean, that's that's, that's really awesome. And um, so, so, you know, we get messages from people. Every night. Like I just got one the other day from a guy who messaged me and said, uh, you know, I just want to let you know I'm coming up on one year now of uh, recovery. Thanks for keeping me alive. You know, that kind of stuff. We get a lot of those. Um people that were able to find their pathway to recovery after having an ambulance call with us or or just multiple calls with us just we get a lot of repeat callers yeah we get to know them quite personally oh that's cool that's awesome yeah yeah it's really cool man some of the uh connections we make with these people are just as important as the the ambulance call we have to call them you know and you've been you've been working in harm reduction for a while. I was just looking at your Facebook page, and you work for uh, Smart Recovery USA. Uh, you work for yeah. a couple programs in Michigan: Recovery Advocacy, Harm Reduction Michigan. What kind of uh, like credentials do you have to get? Did you go to school for for that? Or uh... well, the only uh, the only real certification uh, official training I have is in a phlebotomy. I'm a certified phlebotomist but um other than that it's really just lived experience you know yeah i've spent a lot of years shooting dope and uh yeah you know running running wild but uh man basically harm reduction is just it's not rocket science basically just uh no judgment no no nothing no expectations i'm here to help you stay alive and healthy today tomorrow however long it takes whether you decide to quit or not i'm here to help you stay alive and healthy whether quit or or whether you don't that's not up for me to decide a lot of people like for me i know a lot of people say the same thing at one point in my life drugs the heroin saved my life it uh you know i I was going through some pretty dark shit and that heroin let me escape that and i needed that at the time so and you know, it's so hard to access medications these days, especially if you've got a history of drug use. Doctors oh, won't God, give yeah. you what they know works because they're afraid you're going to abuse it. So then you just go back to self-medicating. 
it's weird how how it's just criminalized and it's really like a medical psychological issue and that's the thing we said about heroin is like drugs work that's why people use them it's a very rational decision you know i went to arkansas a couple weeks ago and i didn't realize until i got into arkansas that the kratom i was carrying was actually a felony in arkansas yeah i didn't know that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's just like uh heroin and uh whatever cocaine in the states I just wanted people to know that when you call that number at Never Use Alone, it's not going to be somebody that's like, oh, you should get off drugs. Uh, uh, oh, um, yeah. Our rule number one, two, and three is don't ever, ever push recovery, treatment, anything on any caller. If yeah. they mention it, we have resources to help them in every state in the U.S., but it's never mentioned. That's rule number one, two, and three. Don't ever, ever push treatment. So we don't ever mention it unless they do. You know, if, if I called and somebody's preaching to me about quitting and going to rehab and this, that, and the other thing, I damn sure ain't calling back. So Yeah, damn know, right. That's, that's our rule number one, two, and three is no pushing treatment. Yeah, you posted uh, earlier today, I noticed on Facebook, you posted about uh, 12-step programs, and you mentioned the fact that I've heard before they don't work for 92 to 95% of people. Um, why do you think that is? Is it it's, is it the preaching, it's, or is it the religious aspect? It's, I think it's, it's, it's a lot of things, really. You know, back in the day when people were more uh, religious, it might have been it had better better uh success rates back then apparently but these days you know people are believing their own things and and expecting now think about this take the average person uh joe joe blow whoever who you know he's, he doesn't classify in any book or anything as being a person with a substance use disorder of any kind he might go out every now and then, have a few drinks, just blow off some steam, whatever. That's fine. You tell that guy he can't ever have another drink, can't ever take another mind-altering substance, mood-altering substance, guaranteed he's going to fail at some point. So expecting people that do have a problem to just stop, go to treatment, go to meetings, go to whatever, find God and live like a monk for the rest of your life. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Even it's monks ridiculous. drink beer, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know the the, um, the substance abuse and mental health services administration's definition of recovery is uh, a process of change through which an individual improves his health and wellness, lives a self-directed life, and strives to reach his or her full potential. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, twelve-step definition. You can pass a piss test. Which one makes more sense? You know. Yeah, yeah, really. And uh, also you. You also mentioned that if you're uh, court-ordered into a 12-step program, you can actually fight that because it's uh, since being uh, religious, it's, it's uh, technically against yeah. somebody's constitutional rights. Yeah, several federal courts have ruled in favor of the, uh, the plaintiff and decided that while 12-step programs aren't fully religious, you know, they, they'll fight you tooth and nail if you try to say they're a religious program. Yeah. But they were found to be religious enough 
that it violated a person's constitutional rights of uh, separation of church and state. Um, if you go, well, if you just Google um, forced 12-step attendance, you'll find several uh, articles about the court rulings. It, it's probably one of the reasons why they're not successful, because I know, like, a guy that drinks moderately and then, you know, he's pulled over and blows, like, a point one or something and is forced into a 12-step program is not going to... Because he didn't have a well, problem in the first place. Well, and, you know, I think a big part of the reason that they fail is that it's it's... It's so black or white. They're, 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 you're either in recovery, you're totally absent, or you had a sip of beer and you got to start all over. With yeah. me, I did that shit in them rooms for like 10 years. And all the time, man, I would, I'd smoke a joint or I'd drink beer. And because it was a program of honesty, I'd tell my sponsor, and he'd say, oh, you got to start all over. You lost it all. Well, fuck, if I had to start over anyway, I'm going to get high. So I'd end up with a needle in my arm, damn near dying of an overdose. Yeah. So, you know, some, some could say that, 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 that weed or that alcohol led to that. No, no. I mean, it's, I ended up finding my recovery pathway in cannabis, cannabis and Kratom saved my ass. And, uh, for all those years, all those people were telling me when I'd smoke a joint, you you lost it all. You got to start all over, and then that stupid little joint went snowballing into something else, all over a joint. So when I finally left the program and decided to you know give myself a break, as they say in the room, I decided to give myself a break and see what the, this cannabis was going to do. Man, it, it was working, so let's see what happened. Shit saved my life. So if I'd have never gone to a meeting. I would have found my own way out of all that shit, all them years. I may have found my way out a lot sooner had I never gone to a meeting. So, yeah, I've got some resentments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it takes a long time to deprogram yourself, man. It yeah. took me about a year of uh, not putting a needle in my arm but smoking a joint to be proud of the fact that I was recovering. I was, I was starting to... I've seen a lot of cool shit happen in my life. It was working for me, but I was still in the back of my mind. I had those 12 steppers tell me I just constantly relapsing. You're just, just waiting for the jails, institutions, and death. Yeah. And none of that shit ever happened. So I was like, you know, fuck it. It's working. I don't give a shit who knows that I smoke weed or that I do DMT from time to time. I don't give a fuck. If it's working for me, it's working. Yeah, DMT my life recently. Yeah, I saw that post on uh, Facebook. That was like right after our friend requested you. Uh, Yeah, so how was that? Oh, it's the most amazing experience. I've never Uh, done. I mentioned earlier about. I mentioned earlier about my son's mother dying of an overdose while she was on the phone with. Yeah, yeah. I was that coming up March eighth will be one year since that happened. Oh man, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. So you know. I've been kicking my own ass for uh, almost a year now, laser focused on looking for ways to blame myself. It's more, you know, and I did that DMT and dude, it changed my life. I I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and panic anxiety disorder, like 15 years old and PTSD in my thirties. So I've, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, whatever, every day of my life. 
I did that DMT three weeks ago. I haven't had any depression, no anxiety, no PTSD symptoms, no reliving that experience, no focusing on blaming myself. Um, I feel like it didn't remove my ability to feel or make me miss her any less, but it removed the ability, uh, the need for me to be so laser focused on blaming myself. And by doing that, I'm able to start the grieving process now. Wow. But the experience was amazing. You smoke it like um, like you do a dab or something. And um, yeah, you, I took that hit and you hold it in and I moved my hands up in front of my face and my hands disappeared. And I thought, oh, shit, here we go. So uh, <laughs> my hands disappeared. And the next thing I know, I was in this Buddhist temple with all these kaleidoscopes of colors and it was just beautiful. And I kept, I remember consciously thinking, okay, I need, I need to focus on crystals so I can work through this. And they, I don't know who they were. They just kept saying, that's not your problem. That's not your problem. So then I started feeling like I was vomiting black stuff. I, I fully expected there to be vomit on the floor when I came out of it, but there wasn't. Wow. But I was, I felt like I was vomiting black stuff. And in my head, it was like I was vomiting bad stuff. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. But um, then, uh, I mean, just the colors and geometric patterns. And and they just, they, 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 there was a person in a mirror in front of me, but it wasn't me, but, but it was. And the, the person was <laughs> making these horrible, painful faces. And, uh, Oh, it was the most amazing experience, man. When I came out of it, um, it, no, it only lasts about 10 minutes. It's very, very intense for about 10 minutes, like wow. shrooms times a thousand. Yeah, yeah. And um, for 20 minutes, you're coming down. So start to finish 30 minutes, but 10 minutes at least of intense, intense. But yeah, uh, yeah I hadn't had any depression, anxiety, PTSD symptoms. No, none of that. Wow, I, I don't think I've ever in my life gone this long without any kind of any of that. I, I, it's amazing. Like, why do you think people develop drug addiction? Is it because of that depression, anxiety, it, and the trauma, or is it trauma, or is it genetics? I, I well, it's, it's all the above, really. I mean, to yeah. to put it all in one category, you, you just can't do that. I mean, for yeah. me. Uh, uh, an accident when I was six years old, I ended up with a glass eye. And um, uh, that was basically my ticket in, to, so to speak. And then, uh, you know, there's others that are uh, sexually abused or, or somebody died yeah. you know, when they were young. And it just really, really <laughs> struck them real hard. Uh, there are people with mental illnesses undiagnosed that are using to, to self-medicate. They, yeah. uh, you know, kind of played around and found what works for them and, they, you know, developed some develop problems, some don't. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a variety of reasons people start. Uh, but for me, it was uh, uh, an accident as a child. So okay, you can't really say one way or the other. Eighty. I read a study somewhere, and I believe it was Dr. Gabor Matei. That, uh, he found that eighty percent of the people that were uh, using IV heroin had suffered some sort of trauma. Uh, in their in their childhood or early adult years or whatever, but eighty percent of them were using to self medicate as a as a defense against the, the trauma they experienced. Yeah. So, you know, we got this ridiculous ass war on drugs, 
it's not a war on drugs at all. It's a, it's a war on people that use drugs, and it's a war on the most traumatized people of our society. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really cruel too. It's it's not it's not going to help, and it, it's never helped. It's just harm people. I, well, well like, there's so much money in it now with privatized prisons and shit. I mean, there's, yeah, there's money falling from the sky. They're not going to change that shit. Yeah. I, I fully believe that uh, it's going to take a, a revolution of some sort to to change shit. I, I, I hope it happens in my lifetime. When did you first uh, hear about kratom? Oh, let's see. If I quit in February of twenty seventeen, so it would have been like right around Christmas time of twenty seventeen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I can't recall the guy's name. He uh was in a group with me and unfortunately he passed away a couple of years ago. I had a pet fox. Yeah, I can't remember that guy's name now. Anyway, he uh he sent me a free sample of uh Kratom. It worked really well, but the one the one problem I have with kratom, and I, I still advocate for it, and I recommend it to everybody that yeah. could ever possibly benefit from it. But when I first started using kratom, um, I asked everybody, "Is there any withdrawal involved with this?" And they all said, "No, it's just like coffee." Uh, that's not right. That, you're right, exactly. I found out <laughs> the hard way. I was a mad. Mad, mad, mad when I finally realized that I was sick from not having any uh, kratom. But I take responsibility on that because I got up, my dosage was getting way up there. I was taking like two ounces a day or something. Yeah, that's a lot. Quit, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was my own fault. But, uh, and that was over like three years. I, you know, I ended up, my dosage just went way, you know, up and up and up and up and up and up over three years and never took a break. If yeah. I'd have taken breaks, if I'd have kept my doses lower, it wouldn't have been so bad. From what I hear from most people, if they just keep it to a few grams a day, they're all right. But uh, anything over that, you, you might start experiencing some uh, physical uh, withdrawal symptoms. So I, I still tell people about it, and I recommend it to them, but I tell them, if you don't take breaks or if you take more than X amount, then you might start experiencing some physical symptoms. I just feel like those people were, and at the time, everybody was so worried about it being banned. I don't know if it's still like that now, if there's threats of it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, everybody was so worried about saying anything negative about it. That, for fear that, that it still would, goes it on, and, and we try, I try to, um, I'm like, it doesn't matter if it's if there's a risk involved. It, sh- it still should be legal. I think all drugs should be legal and regulated. Re- yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Look at alcohol. I mean, there's... <laughs> clear risks involved and there's clearly bad alcohol outcomes that happen in every city in america every weekend but it's but the best thing we can do is regulate it if 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 it was a prohibition and people were drinking bathtub gin and going blind just like this fentanyl depending on that too you know back during the prohibition days the government was poisoning the alcohol supply to just start drinking yes a lot of people died I think maybe they're doing it now with the fentanyl, you know, on purpose. You know, that's just my 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 take on it. I don't know. I wonder if they did that. They had the uh, issue with the um, black market uh, vape pens for uh, uh, weed weed vape pens, and people were getting weird lung shit that was happening, and it was like. 
who who would put that in there if they were i mean i don't know exactly i forget exactly what the chemical was and though maybe maybe it's yeah. just like cheaper to manufacture them like that it coincided with like an fda push to uh ban uh like to vat tobacco vape pens they were like reefer madnessing and that stuff up yeah. to to justify the just general mm-hmm. crackdown on on nicotine vapes you know, I don't know when our society is going to figure this shit out. It's so obvious that banning anything, it doesn't do any good at all. In fact, it just makes it worse. Uh, there has never been a time in our history, man's history, never been a time that we didn't use drugs in one form or another. Never has been, never will be. We're always going to be a society that uses drugs, always. It's just, uh, you know, with um, with the uh, black market, the cheaper they can get like fentanyl, they can get you know, like a thousand dollars worth of fentanyl in a matchbox, matchbook box thing. Or they can get a thousand dollars of heroin in a shoebox. Uh, obviously, it's more than that, but I'm just giving an example, uh, you know, idea. Um, so the smaller they can make the packaging to make the most money to hide it the best they're going to go with so eventually they're going to come up with something that's stronger than fentanyl uh, they can put more of it in smaller packaging and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and uh you know the only way to stop that is to finally pull our fucking heads out of our asses and stop with this crazy idea that we're somehow going to stop the supply and the demand for drugs never going to happen never going to happen it's like, uh, you know, it's like trying to save a sinking ship by shooting holes in the floor. You, you know, you, it makes no sense at all. It's ridiculous. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're taught as children in damn dare classes that people who use drugs are bad people. They're dirty people. They show you these pictures of people living in the alley with a, with a Coke can in front of them collecting change. Bullshit. Yeah. But that's what we're, what we're teaching kids. To, to hate people using drugs and they wonder why society is so against people who use drugs we're taught that way since we were kids elementary school cops coming in there teaching us about drugs about as much nuns teaching kids about sex yeah. but <laughs> and uh this whole war on drugs just say no this is your brain on drugs i learned it from watching you dad you know that bullshit <laughs> It's all led to this. What did Bill Hicks said? He he said, "I I never looked at an egg and thought it was my brain. <laughs> I've I've been fucked up on all kinds of drugs, but I've never looked at an egg and thought it was a brain." <laughs> you know, and it's, society's been just force fed the idea that somebody uses drugs is morally deficient. They're bad people. They they either got to go to jail and suffer or they got to go to treatment, confess their sins and pray to God for forgiveness and live like a monk for the rest of their lives. Blah, 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 blah. What the hell? What policies would you like to see implemented? Um, maybe even in terms of like needle exchange and Narcan and stuff uh, in the United States that, that would be better. Syringe exchange needs to be the stigma needs to be reduced on that. And you know, it's, yeah. it's people getting their information from their cousin's uncle's neighbor's taxi driver named Bob. 
<laughs> we told them that, you know, we're just enabling a drug user. Blah, blah. But yeah, if yeah. they actually go and research from reputable sites, the CDC, the Surgeon General, the World Health Organization, the National Institute of Health, yeah. research in those places, they all support syringe, syringe programs. They all support them, but the taxi driver Bob says they're bad. So, you know, but um and I think up there in Canada, they have a program called heroin assisted treatment. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's not for like somebody just walks in and says, man, I need some help. You know, can, can, can I get some heroin? That's not how it works. It's got to be like last resort. Uh, people that, that haven't been successful on Suboxone or Methadone or, or other forms of treatment. So it's basically last resort. Uh, it's not like somebody can just walk in and say, hey, man, can I get some heroin? You know, a lot of people that are against it seem to think that just anybody can walk in and get some heroin. But uh, that's not at all the case. But um, they're finding having really good results with it. What it is, is it's two or three times a day a person can come in and get a dose of heroin. Uh, they can inject it, whatever they want to do and uh, go about their day. Basically, it's like a methadone clinic, basically. Um but what they're finding is when these people are able to stop having to run around all day looking for ways to make money to keep from being sick, if they're able to stop doing that and focus on themselves, they're able to find a job, maybe get an apartment, start meeting their own basic needs. And then when they do that, they start feeling better about themselves and their use starts decreasing. And they you know, keep going and keep going. And they've got all these support services that are helping them get a better job or a better apartment or, or something. Uh, you know, then things keep improving and people are able to stop many of them, not all, but many of them are able to just stop using. Most are able to decrease their use and, and live productive lives though. So whether they, uh, whether they abstain from using or not, uh, abstinence and recovery are two completely separate things. Um, so I don't care if somebody's able to, Use once or twice a day and live a productive life, and they're doing good for themselves. And they fucking a, yeah, yeah really. That's working for you. I'm all for that. But yeah. uh, society's been fed the idea that anything short of 100 percent complete and total abstinence is failure, and it's your fault if it failed for you because AA said so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, we're, Treating uh, treating an issue from a playbook written in the 30s by a couple of guys with a drinking problem. Uh, yeah. You know, they like to say that it's not a religious, it's a spiritual program. Well, then why the hell is it all about prayer and confession? And shame, uh, I think, too. I, I oh, get that man. sense. Yeah, if you're powerless, you can't trust yourself. You are lying, cheating, no good, powerless, diseased, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But you're going to feel better. I mean that 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 kind of uh, that kind of attitude makes me want to drink more, not less. Yeah. Like like yeah. it's such a it's such a Catholic uh, yeah. Uh, heavy you're gonna shame be like shit. that for the rest of your life. Yeah, they tell you you're gonna you're gonna be like this the rest of your life. Your only chance of living is to keep coming to these meetings, or it's gonna be jails, institutions, or death. I was terrified when I decided to stop going to meetings. I was scared to death. I thought shit. But you know, if I keep going, I'm gonna end up dead too. So yeah, it was. Uh, I had to make a decision at the time, and uh, I definitely made the right one. That's you know, at the time, I didn't know there were other options. Of course, there may not have been. That I I don't know. 
but there weren't all these different other options now i think on that post i made today i think there's yeah. like 17 other alternatives uh now uh, i've been adding them as people recommend them i was looking at the buddhist ones um like i've studied buddhism a little bit but like just meditation in general just sit for like 20 minutes 30 minutes I've never been able to meditate. I can't stop my head long enough to. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's I've been, tough. I've been thinking recently, though. That's another thing I've noticed after that DMT is my ADD symptoms don't seem to be as bad. That's so I cool. need to try that again. But um, like three days after that DMT experience, I did it again. And um, it wasn't near as intense, but it was the most relaxing experience of my life. I was sitting on a – and I think I was meditating then. I, that's just that's – close to meditating as I've ever come, but uh, I was just sitting That's on a cool. riverbank with the sun on my face, eyes closed, listening to the water flow in the river and birds. It was just the most relaxing experience, but um, I've never been able to meditate, but that's something I want to, I need to, I, I want to start trying to do uh, practicing. Yeah. I guess you got to practice. Uh, so I think, I think Kratom's legal in Tennessee, right? Yeah. It, it definitely yeah. Is. For a long time, it was, uh, Apparently, right before I found out about it, it was uh, illegal, but they had screwed up the wording or something, and uh, which they called it synthetic. It, yeah, they they banned synthetic types, and everybody just thought that meant all kratom, uh, and it didn't. So then, when they realized that they fucked up and it was legal, they they tried to go back and to ban it, but it failed. Thank God go to arkansas or alabama you cross that line you're a felon you're, you know you're committing a felony it's crazy you said like you know you developed a kratom habit and and you were mm -hmm. like oh you know people told you it couldn't be addictive and that that's a big problem it, it, no, it's no, because... no, no. now see there there's where i there's why I, I i disagree with a lot of people and i agree with the, the advocates and um, there's a difference between physical dependence and addiction yes and what i experienced with kratom it wasn't addictive i mean i was not you know going to pawn my shit to go get more kratom yeah but i was definitely physically dependent on it yeah. Uh, so uh, I believe that it, it will develop a physical dependence uh, within with, with people. Yeah. But as for it being addictive, I disagree. Yeah, uh, I it's mean, no more addictive than anything else. I helped a guy years ago get into treatment. He was addicted to melatonin. And yeah, should you not? He was really having a problem with melatonin. Yeah, so people can get addicted to anything. Definitely, because this is a psychological disorder. That's what Gabor Monte mm -hmm. said. He was addicted to buying classical CDs yeah. Uh, yeah. because he heard that music when he was a baby. He was a Holocaust baby, and, that, and that's where he developed his whole theory about it being from childhood trauma, like severe addiction. Mm -hmm. I've never used more than I, I once used seven grams and that was too much i got sick and then yeah. i never used more than that and i've never used it daily and i had yeah. some yesterday and that was the first time i had some in three weeks kind of like uh, that for us this is like we keep it with our coffee yeah. and tea and uh, uh it's, it's, i've got some in there right now it's yeah. been sitting there for I don't know, a week or so i hadn't yeah. touched it i mean it's yeah you know, i use it for back pain now when i you know when my back's hurting real bad i'll take some yeah I don't, I don't use it daily anymore. And it, but you know, it, it, but that doesn't mean that it's not. It can't be a problem for some people. No, 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 yeah. no absolutely. Yeah, some people will develop problem with. It. Well, I think a lot of the, the shit you see online, though, 
you know, all these treatment center people talking about how addictive it is and blah, blah, blah. Well, of course they're going to say that because they're the only seeing the people that have a problem with it. They're not seeing the people that do well with it, that, that save their life, that, it, you know, allowed them to function as a human being. And, you know, they're not seeing those people. So, of course, they're going to say, oh, it's so addictive. It's horrible. You should see the people that take that stuff. Well, you're only seeing the people that have a problem with it, not real. I mean, not the majority of society. Yeah. It's working to find a benefit with it. I mean, that's kind of the same with every drug, though, isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, because I know I have a friend who's a heroin user and and is a very successful person and started from nothing Mm -hmm. and worked their way up. But it's like, yeah, you don't hear from successful people (laughs) doing illegal drugs. Uh, Dr. Carl Hart, he's a professor with Columbia University, just wrote a book recently called uh, Drug Use for Adults. I I have it right um, on my desk right here, yeah. In the book, he talks about being a daily heroin user, and he doesn't hide the fact at all. A lot of our callers should never use alone. uh, Like, we got one guy that, uh, I I I don't want to say the name of the company, but let's just say it's a very, 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 very large software company that he worked for. Yeah, and uh, one week out of the year he lets loose, and he uses heroin one week out of the year. Yeah, another guy calls every now and then. He'll call once every few months. He decides he wants to do something, and you know there are so many people that use heroin recreationally, but we're there again. Society's fed the idea that you use it one time, you're hooked, you're you're screwed the rest of your life. That's just not true. I was just wondering if, like, if somebody wants to volunteer uh, for Never Use Loan to take calls. Um, so, like, what? Wh- who are you looking for? I mean, obviously, they have to have experience, and and and. Well, um, really, we don't really have any requirements for our, our operators. We do have yeah. automatic disqualifications. One of them being anybody who's a mandated reporter, um, like if they were a. Uh, on a call and they heard a baby in the background if they're legally obligated to report uh like possible cases of child neglect then we can't have them as operators mm-hmm. uh, just because just because you hear a kid in the background doesn't necessarily mean the kid's being neglected but oh uh, you know they're again society their view they're they're they're, well, they're trained to think that anybody using drugs can't possibly be a good parent you know it's whatever but uh so no mandated reporters and uh, anybody um, that is in like a marketing or business development or uh, works for a treatment center, um, that's automatic disqualified too. This we don't we don't want our uh, service being used as like a fishing lure for a treatment center or anything. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but outside of that, I prefer to have people with uh, harm reduction experience. Uh, not a requirement, but you know, preferred. Uh, prefer people who are currently using or or have you you know or personal in recovery. Yeah. But abstinence abstinence is not a requirement for volunteering with us. If you're a person that uses, you're just as valuable to us as somebody who's not. Uh, we should have an understanding that if uh, if the operator is using at the time and they're you know like nodding out or something, obviously they don't need to be taking a call. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, outside of that, if uh, you know, just because they use during on during the days, and I, I don't hold that against them. We've had many, a uh, couple operators actually that, uh, when they first started with us, they were using, and uh, through doing an energy loan thing, they were 
and they found a sense of purpose and pride and they were able to stop using so that's, uh, that's awesome it's uh it helps the uh person the caller and the person going yeah 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 it's pretty cool uh it's been going pretty well now we're about to experience a little third uh explosion it's it's about to go get pretty big here shortly yeah you got some funding recently what yeah that's pretty yeah. that's awesome yeah there's uh, billions coming from uh, Big Pharma settlement, and uh, they're wanting to dump a bunch of it into NUA. So we're uh, nice. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, my goal has always been to have uh, overdose response lines in every major city in America, and uh, hopefully, you know, I don't know that that might just happen. That's great. That's awesome. Are you working with anybody in Pittsburgh? Like I know we have Prevention Point, which are uh, the clean needle people yeah yeah they uh they promote their use alone a lot for us up there but cool. uh, there's just about every uh harm reduction organization in the country uh hands out our cards and, and uh, awesome. flyers and that goes back to earlier when you're talking about people being afraid to call yeah um i get that man back when i was using i don't know if i would have trusted a service like this either so i, I get it but um you know, it's only when somebody gets our information from somebody that, that they trust will they then decide to call us. So, yeah. you know, anybody is listening to this and doubting us or thinking it's a setup or whatever, reach out to your local harm reduction organization, some of your some of your friends in the, in your circle. Chances are, well, I know the harm reduction programs will, but they can uh, vouch for us or safe. And nobody calling the fucking cops. I ain't no treatment center yeah. lure, none of that shit going on. But uh, you know, as harm reduction organizations, they'll out for us. And chances are, some of your friends have probably called. Uh, ask them; they've probably been there. You know, called us. Um, but you know, once one person calls, they tell their friends. Hey, I called. No cops showed up. No fucking treatment center pushing none of that. Uh, then their friend calls, and then their friend tells their friend, and. So we're seeing a, a big uh, call volume increase lately. And yeah. uh, with all this new uh, developments going on here recently, we'll probably see a very, very large uh, call volume increase from all this. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about uh, Suboxone. That's kind of like the thing they're prescribing for everything. Uh, they're even, if somebody goes in, uh, and says I got I'm addicted to kratom. They'll give them some box and and it's Medicaid assisted treatment. And I'm just wondering what you think about that. Can't really say one way or another. I mean, for some people, studies show that the suboxone is very effective for people with, yeah. uh, with heroin use. And uh, and and I, I don't I'm not seeing anything on kratom, but seems counterproductive to me really uh, personally because the from going to kratom to suboxone, but um, I mean, they, I can't say that won't work for somebody, though, you know. I mean, um, I've used Suboxone, uh, and it helps helped me a lot. But yeah. uh, I can't say that it won't work for somebody, just like I can't say Kratom will or won't, or 12 Steps will or won't, or Smart Recovery will or won't. I think yeah. what's important is that we have all these things laid out on the table. Um, you know, if we give if we give the person – enough colors and enough paintbrushes to paint his version of recovery, we're going to see results. But when we only hand him a couple of little, little shades of black and white, we're not going to get much of a picture. So, you know, if we lay all this stuff out on the table here, you got all these 
these self-help groups. And then under that, you've got uh, woodworking, uh, driftwood hunting, uh, whatever. And, you know, we add that little little into the mix there. And then something else, volunteering or, or, or starting an organization to help cats or whatever. Add that yeah. into the mix. Is recovery is a recipe, not a one. I don't care if you find one pathway that works. That one pathway isn't it's not all gonna it's not gonna work like that you gotta find other little things to add into your recipe and everybody's recipe is different hell yeah that's that's a good place to end because i think it's like kratom is like it, it's such a complex uh uh, mm-hmm. uh substance there's so many alkaloids in it uh there's different alkaloids the way it's dried differently and then yeah. it works on your metabolism everybody has mm-hmm. this complex enzymes in their gut uh it, it affects people differently in general that's the same with everybody's uh, uh psychoactive substance use experience you know, and it helped not only with pain, but it works for my anxiety and depression, too. I get why FDA, the big pharma's lap puppy, uh, why they want it out of the way. You know, it's a threat to a big pharma, so they're trying to demonize it all. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I know too many people that have gotten extreme benefits from it, and I did, too. I just uh, I got a little carried away with my, my intake, and that's my own fault. Yeah, I definitely recommend it to everybody and anybody out there. You know, they're kicking all these people out of their pain clinics and shit, man. It's horrible. And, uh, you know, kicking them out into the street, you know, the street flooded with fentanyl. It's, it's going to be bad. It's going to yeah. be going to get worse before it gets better, I think. The pendulum has swung so far to the other side. You yeah. Know, back in, uh, like, oh, 2010. Hydrocodones and shit and Percocets were just falling from the sky. Everybody and their brother had them. Yeah. Down here in the south, it was uh, morphines and Dilaudids were real big. That's what we were all shooting back then. Then, you know, like I said, they were just falling from the sky, pills everywhere. Then all of a sudden, everybody starts getting kicked out, and the pendulum swung so far to the other side that now people that really need that medication are suffering and it and it's yeah. been made to look like it's our fault, like it's the drug user's fault. But it's not. I mean, if we if you want to blame one thing, we have to blame greed. We have to blame big pharma being so fucking greedy and not you know hiding all that shit about the medications. Greed. The the uh, the, the pharmaceutical reps going out there trying to sell all these doctors into prescribing more and more and more, more greed. The doctors took kickbacks to prescribe more greed. The the damn pill mills everywhere, greed. Yeah. The pain patients that were that they have a part in this too, which I, I hate to acknowledge this, but the other pain patients that only went in there to get their pills to sell. I had a bunch of people back in the day that I knew every month when they got their pills, and everybody else did too. We'd all line up to get them. But um, so there again, greed. The only people that really use those out of necessity is the people that got addicted to them. You know, we weren't doing it out of greed. We were doing it because we had to have them to function. Everybody else was in it for greed. But somehow it's been made to look like it's the drug user's fault, the person that got addicted to a highly addictive medication. I I don't see how that, I don't there again, I just don't, uh, I just see things a lot different than most people, I guess. I don't, I don't know. But if they want to blame one thing, it's got to be blamed on greed, not the person that got addicted to them. Sucks. I mean, I feel for them, man. They're all getting kicked off now and being 
kicked out into the friggin' street and like I said, flooded with fentanyl and there did these people gotta find relief somehow. So they end up buying what they think is a, an oxy thirty on the street and it ends up being fentanyl or a Xanax. Or, or Xanax, yeah. I've yeah. heard about that, like Green Hulks. Is that the fentanyl one? Like these green press Xanax pills? And no, I don't, the only ones I've seen are yeah. are in pictures. I've not personally seen any. Yeah, but, me neither. Uh, but they look just like Xanax bars. Yeah, it looked just like it. The green thirties, I think those were the Roxy thirties or Roxy or whatever. But uh, you know, it's turning up in every damn thing. And you see uh, these. Nah, I, I don't. I think it's all bullshit. But you see claims all the time about uh, uh, cannabis testing positive for fentanyl. I'm calling <laughs> bullshit. There. Yeah, because I don't think so. When you when you touch flame to fentanyl, it destroys it. So that's why when people are smoking fentanyl pills, they have to do it on an aluminum foil so the flame doesn't touch the 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 fentanyl. And so yeah, so if you're smoking a bowl or you're smoking, I guess it, it would be possible in a, in a vape maybe, but like on a bowl or something, the flame's gonna kill the fentanyl. You might feel a little something, but and you know I'm not saying you can't. I don't want to say you can't overdose from smoking fentanyl and weed. I, I can't say that. Uh, this thing is bullshit. And if it is fentanyl and weed, it's cross contamination somehow. I don't think anybody's putting it on there to try and kill anybody. It just goes yeah. back to another reason why we can legalize and regulate cannabis. And what do you think about the uh, the cocaine thing? We uh, we just, I mean, we just had a couple people die over in the next town from where I live. They might have just, yeah, from their own carelessness, mixed it together. But is that a common thing? Do you think? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, becoming more and more and more common. Uh, last year in Ohio, they did a study. And they tested um, samples uh, seized by police seizure. And um, uh, I think it was like 15% of the cocaine and 12% of the meth or vice versa. I can't remember which. But uh, 15 and 12% of, uh, of the samples tested positive for fentanyl. Yeah. And, uh, so, and that was in Ohio. So you know, that's right up there near y'all. Yep, yep. And, um, then um, they did another study. The federal government did a study on they tested like uh, different amounts that had been seized. Like uh, if they brought in a, a shit load, like, you know, let's say they got a kilo. They tested it like five percent or one percent tested positive for fentanyl. Then they tested their half kilo seizures. Like five percent tested positive, and what they found is the smaller the seizure size they they had, the more fentanyl it had in it, which basically points to the idea that as it goes down the the supply chain, they're adding fentanyl to it to make it more powerful or to increase weight or whatever. But it basically points to the idea that uh, it's the fentanyl is being introduced into the supply in the u.s by yeah. the, the going down the supply chain i just want to reiterate the importance of the good samaritan law please everybody check your state's good samaritan law by going to uh, www.nextdistro.org slash policies and um Check that out and research syringe exchange programs, harm reduction programs, but do so on National Institute of Health, CDC, the Surgeon General. Do you know 
use those sources, not not your taxi driver. Yeah, or uh, a lot of these uh, for-profit rehabs have uh, yeah. their their yeah. blogs and oh. stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, they'll have you terrified, thinking your 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 kid's gonna die right now if you don't give them millions and millions, thousands, thousands of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna, they're thinking they're gonna cure your kid. It's crazy. <laughs> well, they're all just twelve step boot camps, really. All the treatment centers. And and I was talking to Maya Solomon about this. She wrote the one book. I, I haven't read that book. I was I read her new one. That's what I interviewed her about. But she's talking about how about how the one treatment center for like kids was like basically a cult. The first one I ever went to, I, I can't remember what it was called. I how old I was. Might have been twenty two, twenty three, maybe. But uh, it was a turned out to be a faith based place. And they were like beating me with the Jesus stick, trying to beat the addiction out of me, I guess. And uh, anyway, I was like, you know, I think maybe I need to like go to AA or something. I didn't know anything about any of it at that point. Yeah. So I think I need to go to AA and maybe find myself before I go looking for Jesus. And they kicked me out <laughs> and said AA was the devil. Wow. <laughs> kicked me right then. I was the craziest thing, man. Said so I need to go find myself before I look for Jesus. They <laughs> kicked me out. AA was the devil. AA is basically the same way, you know, yeah. it's uh, built on, you know, they wear their, uh, their clean time as they call it. They wear their clean time, like rank on a uniform and you get somebody in there. that has got some, some long years in recovery. They're like, they're like the general, you know, they're, they're in charge. I knew one guy down here that was, uh, he refused to sponsor me because I was on some Malta. I know a couple other people Sub- that uh, he talked them into. Yeah, he talked them into stopping their suboxone so they could have real recovery. Ended wow. up overdosing and dying. Another that guy sucks. talked into uh, talked into stopping his psych meds, and he ended up uh, shooting himself. And it's uh, you know, that's that's one of my biggest gripes about the program is it's. Do, they're allowed to interpret the book any way they'd like to. And then once they get some time under them, they can then start requiring people to follow their version of the book. And there are people dead because of that. So. Wow. In this whole drug or psychoactive substance space that I've noticed. It's just like there's room for people who want to sincerely help people mm-hmm. and there's room for people who want to sincerely take advantage of people oh. because it's a lot of traumatized people who need help but are easily taken advantage of and I mean you sound like 100% a guy that wants to help people and uh, so that's why I really appreciate the work you're doing and thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, no problem, man. Thank you, Mike Brown. Never use a loan. Number is 1-800-484-3731. Neveruseloan.com. Check out nextdistro.org slash policies for laws relating to Good Samaritans, syringe programs, and naloxone by state. So far, we don't advertise or ask for donations, but we do ask for your support. If you please share this on your social media, like, rate, review, comment, subscribe, wherever you listen. The music is by Risey. The song is Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.